today's scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is known as one of the books of the law, and was written by Moses, basically, and when I read the book of Deuteronomy, I kind of picture Moses calling the group to him, and telling the Israelites, okay, I have some laws I want to share with you. And I know what he was looking at, because as a teacher, when I say we need to go over classroom expectations, the look, you know, that I get, right? It's like, are you kidding me? I thought we were doing something fun. And it's like, but you don't get it. We have to know what the rules are, right? So we can have fun. We've got to know what those perimeters are. We've got to know what the boundaries are. And I think this is kind of what Moses is saying to the people. He's saying we, we kind of got to know what those boundaries are. And today, the part I'm going to be reading from out of Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 17, actually it's on page 172 in your Bible if you'd like to follow along, is going over different feasts and festivals. So it shows, yeah, sometimes you can have a little fun in a godly way. Observe the month of Abib by keeping the Passover for the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall offer the Passover sacrifice for the Lord your God from the flock of the herd at the place that the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. You must not eat with it anything leavened. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, for the bread of affliction. Because you came out of the land of Egypt in great haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the day of your departure from the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory for seven days. And none of the meat of what you slaughter on the evening of the first day shall remain until morning. You are not permitted to offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Only there shall you offer the Passover sacrifice. In the evening, at sunset time of day, when you departed from Egypt, you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. The next morning you may go back to your tents. For six days you shall continue to eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly for the Lord your God, when you shall do no work. You shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seven weeks, from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the festival of weeks for the Lord your God, contributing a freewill offering in proportion to the blessing that you have received. From the Lord your God. Rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your males and female slaves, the Levites resident in your towns, as well as the strangers, the orphans, and the widows who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt and diligently observed these statutes. You shall keep the festival of booths for seven days. When you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your uh, wine press, rejoice during your festival. 
you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female slaves, as well as the Levites, the strangers, the orphans, and the widows resident in your town. Seven days you shall keep the festival for the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your undertakings, and you shall surely celebrate three times a year. All your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, at the festival of weeks, and at the festival of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. All shall give as they are able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that was a mouthful, <laughs> right? We don't, we don't usually, you know, kind of hang out in the Old Testament, especially in the book of the, the Torah, you know, the, the Old Testament law, and Deuteronomy, like Troy was saying, or uh, Leviticus, we're going to be looking at Leviticus later on. Now, those aren't, you know, kind of our favorite books uh, to turn to uh, in the Bible. But I think that uh, we'll find some uh, interesting things as we begin to uh, study this. We're go- going to, over the next, uh, uh, parenthetically, with the next two weeks, uh, Taylor Morgan will be here, Reverend Taylor Morgan, uh, to uh, uh, share with us when Joy and I are, are on vacation. But after that, we're going to be looking at seven great feasts of Israel and really uh, looking at how those feasts actually tie in significantly with uh, our faith as followers of Jesus, and uh, provide the rhythmness for us that will help us to, uh, on our quest, to uh, live out uh, the kingdom of heaven. So uh, I think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be interesting. I, ho- I hope it'll be interesting and, and exciting. Today, I just want to kind of give a little bit of an uh, introduction to that whole idea of these seven feasts um, that we'll uh, look at. And when uh, Corey was reading there, it sounded like there was just three feasts that were being talked about, but there's actually seven altogether. And if you add Hanukkah and Purim, there's actually nine, but we're not going to deal with those uh, those two feasts. I was talking with my brother-in-law this past week, and he goes, oh, yeah, there's Hanukkah and Purim. I go, we're not doing those, because uh, he was asking me. Anyway, uh, we're just going to deal with seven, and I'll mention those in just a few moments, what those seven feasts are. Lord, thank you for this worship service, the wonderful music that we can uh, sing and lift our hearts up to you, prayers and uh, uh, all the different ways that uh, we worship you, and uh, we just uh, pray that uh, your spirit somehow would take uh, words that are spoken and uh, that they would be life for us. In your name, amen. There were three guys. They were seniors in high school. They were going to this uh, conference in New York City. They were all excited about it and, and uh, you know, loved being in New York City, and uh, they um, uh, got a... Uh, I went to this hotel, one of the finer hotels in, in New York City, and uh, they were given a room on the 30th floor. 
And uh, so that, that was great, and they checked it out, and it was really cool, a great room. They were excited about it, and they thought, hey, we're going to go, and we're going to look at some of the sites before the conference starts tomorrow. We'll look at some of the really cool sites uh, here in New York City. Uh, have, has anybody ever been to New York City here? Some of you have. I've never been there. I, I, have, no, I have no idea what the function's like over there in New York City. Yeah, I have no idea what New York City's like, but I'm sure it's really, really fun. Broadway. Uh, so, so they, they uh, uh, took off, and, and uh, they went and saw the sites. They got back after seeing all the sites, of, of, or a lot of them, of New York and, and the city. And, and uh, they go to the front desk, and uh, the manager at the front desk, who wanted to compete, the manager said, well, okay, there's a problem. Uh, the elevators have, are broken. <laughs> And uh, remember, they were on the 30th floor. And uh, he said, now you can, he, he said, you can either wait until we get the elevators fixed, or, you know, you can take the stairs. Well, these guys are young. They're seniors in high school. And they said, ah, we'll just do, we'll just take the stairs. We want to get up and kind of rest and, and so forth before uh, tomorrow the, the conference starts. And, and so they said, we'll, we'll just do that. And so they take off. They're going up the stairs. And they said, let's do this. Let's tell each other funny stories, the funniest stories we can think of. Each one of us will take 10 floors, and we'll tell a, a, a funny story, you know, for 10 floors. And uh, there's three of us, and that'll get us up to, to the 30th floor. Okay. So this one guy, he starts telling this funny story, and, and it's really a funny one, and they're laughing as they're going up the stairs, and they've got some energy, and, and they're, they're laughing and having a good time and so forth. And then the next guy, they get up to the 10th floor, and he starts telling his story, and by the time they get up to the 20th floor, this is how I was feeling this past week hiking. You know, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Anyway, so they get up to, to they're, they're huffing and they're puffing and they're really not laughing uh, a whole lot anymore. And they're just trying to concentrate. And uh, they, they get up, and so uh, they said, let's not, let's not, forget it, telling the, the third funny story. Let's just try to get up to, to our room. Uh, the best we can. They get up to, to floor 29, and all of a sudden, the one guy who hadn't told this funny story yet, he sits down on the step, and, he, and they're just exhausted. He starts laughing. Just hysterically, he starts laughing. He's just laughing and laughing. The other two guys are looking at him, they go, what is going on? And he goes, he goes I just realized the funniest thing. He goes, we left our key downstairs. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that was his funny story. The reality is, is that, you know, it's good to have keys. And uh, to have them with you. <laughs> and interestingly... You know, in, in, uh, it's the same thing that's true religiously as well. Well, we, we are in this Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, you know, uh, as followers of, of Jesus. And really, in a lot of ways, the Old Testament uh, provides a key for us to comprehend and understand the New Testament and, and what Jesus was teaching and uh, what, what uh, this table means. And uh, the, the sacraments that we have, uh, besides this table, baptism, and, and all, all the other aspects of, of our life as Christians. 
And so when we, when we look back uh, and begin to look at the Old Testament, in particular these feasts, they had these feasts, and these feasts were very significant in order to really comprehend and understand um, what we uh, trust in and believe in. And so we tend to, you know, kind of swim around as Christians in the New Testament and splash around there, but it's good for us occasionally to, to uh, you know, take a, a leap over the other side of the pool and, uh, and try to comprehend and understand the Old Testament uh, as well. I mean, uh, well, like Corey said, uh, at least my tendency, I don't know about you, my tendency is like, oh my gosh, that stuff was so boring back there, you know? All that, really? All that stuff, well, you know, we got this feast, and, and then we got this feast, and we got to make this sacrifice, and we got to roast, you know, the lamb, and not boil the lamb, and got, we got to do all this stuff, no leaven, and oh, that was so boring, right? That's how we tend to think about it, but actually, it's pretty interesting stuff. And I'm hoping that over the next uh, several weeks when we, when we delve into this, uh, once we get back from vacation, that we'll, we'll be able to see uh, how interesting it really is and how it, it, it provides in some ways a key for us to understand uh, the New Testament. So um, today I just want to give an overview of, of these feasts. These seven feasts are Passover. And we're familiar with Passover. How many of you have been to the Monday, Thursday services that we have uh, in here? Okay, so you, a lot of you uh, know a lot about Passover because of those services, and maybe some of your own reading as well. Right after Passover, the celebration of Passover was a one-day feast uh, called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then that is followed by, uh, uh, by a, a feast of seven days called the uh, Feast of First Fruits. And so you have from Passover to uh, the Feast of, the end of, the feast of First Fruits, um, uh, eight days. And then you have seven weeks uh, that follow with a celebration uh, at that time of the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks. We call that that feast, what do we call it? I mean, not Christians, but thank you for trying. <laughs> Appreciate that. Pentecost, right? Pentecost, Penta, 50, you know, 49 days uh, plus one. Uh, Pentecost is uh, the Feast of Weeks. That's what we call it. Then there's the Feast of Trumpets in the fall, and the feast, uh, well, one day feast called the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So you have these seven feasts that were celebrated by uh, the people of Israel. And it's interesting, uh, uh, Moses writes in here, um, in verse uh, 16 of our passage, he says, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, that's the week that follows Passover, the festival of weeks, that's what we call Pentecost, and the Festival of Tabernacles, that's in the fall. And that was uh, a feast to uh, celebrate the end of the harvest season. And so, so uh, if you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, because that was the place where the temple was, that God chose to be his dwelling, if you lived within 20 miles as a male, you had to go to those, those feasts, those three feasts, and, and, and celebrate at that time. Uh, they were called the, uh, the Pilgrim Feasts. But in a sense, they encompass all seven. So let me just share with you uh, just a, a couple of elements about uh, these feasts that uh, will help us as we begin to look at them more specifically um, throughout July and August. First, 
and, and you'll, you can find some of these uh, in that uh, little section, the sermon points that I have at the back of the bulletin. You'll find these points there. First, uh, festivals, these feasts or these festivals, and I use that word interchangeably, these festivals are holy assemblies of honor to God. So when they had these, these feasts, the purpose of these feasts, first and foremost, was to honor God. Kadesh Mikrah is, is the, the, the Hebrew. It means a pure and public meeting dedicated to God. Kadesh Mikrah. And so they would have this, this, uh, these, these public meetings, these public festivals or feasts as a way to, to honor uh, uh, Almighty God. All ancient cultures had festivals. If you've ever been to any other uh, countries and, and look at some of their, uh, their um, what they've uh, done in their ancient times, you'll see that all ancient uh, cultures had festivals. When Gloria and I were in Peru, where's Gloria? There she is. When Gloria and I were in Peru um, some 30 years ago, Hold's brother was a missionary down there in family, and, and we went down there and and uh, we had a great time, and we learned a lot about Peruvian culture. And one of the things was all the festivals they would have. They would all kind of, these week-long, just crazy festivals and feasts uh, that they would have. And all ancient cultures uh, had those. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the feasting and a lot of the, the festivals that uh, cultures would have would be, first and foremost, to celebrate, uh, in one way or another, harvest. Okay? So we, we want we, because people were agrarian at that time. And over most of the world, people still are, are agrarian. And, um, and so these feasts and festivals, first and foremost, would be a way to, to uh, um, uh, celebrate harvest or to ask the gods for a good harvest of some kind in uh, a variety of different kinds of, of ways. All the ancient cultures had festivals. Also, the people in these ancient cultures... Uh, were poor. There was only a, only a small majority that, that had any kind of wealth to speak of. The majority of people, just like today, the majority of people uh, in uh, the ancient cultures uh, lived in poverty, survival, you know, kind of just trying to get by uh, each and every day. That's why when we say the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, literally, that's how most people in the world all the way back, live. Give us, we don't live that way. We go to the store, we buy a bunch of bread. You know, we're better less, you know, go to Costco. It'll last me a month or whatever, right? But that's not how most of the world lived or lives today. And so, um, so they had a, a, a difficult life. Uh, they were exhausted. And so they would have these festivals, not only to, to say, God, we want you to, we want to have a, a good harvest. We need a really good harvest. But also, we want to have fun. We've been working so hard, even just barely getting by. We've laid a little bit aside so that as a community, we can get together and we can have fun. And a little bit of respite from uh, the uh, hard work. And then the other thing that these festivals did is they not only were uh, uh, geared towards uh, uh, the harvest times, um, and towards having fun, but they also were to reinforce community. The whole idea that, that somehow uh, we are involved in community together. And it's interesting, the Hebrews uh, were actually the first culture 
to, to say that, that individuals are important as well as the community. Today, especially in the West, we have to be taught the exact opposite. We're so focused on individuals, on ourselves, that we forget how important community is. And in ancient times, uh, they would uh, uh, reinforce the, the reality that, that we are in community together. We can't make it by ourselves. If we're out there and we're, we're just trying to make it and survive by ourselves, it's not going to happen. The elements are going to get us. Wild critters are going to get us. Disease is going to get us. We need to be together as uh, community. And then, uh, uh, a lot of times, the festivals would point uh, the community to the gods or a god in, in uh, um, terms of the Hebrews. So, interestingly, and I've mentioned this before uh, uh, a few times, it was really easy for human beings to look at the gods, whether it was a pantheon of, of gods like the Greeks or like the uh, Norse people or like the people in Sumer or the Persians, to look at these pantheon of gods and, and say, okay, we've got to figure out how can we, how can we manipulate these gods or appease these gods in some way for our benefit. That we have a really good heart, and sometimes they would take extreme measures. The human beings back then, in whatever culture, would take extreme measures in order for that to happen. Right? Sometimes they would literally sacrifice their kids. In the Old Testament, you read about that. You read about uh, uh, God saying, "Do not sacrifice your children in the fire." Have you ever read that before in the Old Testament? Because there were cultures, in the Canaanite cultures, they did that to Moloch. They would sacrifice in order to, to somehow manipulate the god, the territorial god, or the gods, to somehow bless them, take care of them, bring about a, a, a fertile harvest for the community. And so there was this idea of, of gaining favor with the gods or, or appeasing the gods' wrath. Uh, in some kind of way. But for Israel, that was not the case. Israel was very, very different from all the other cultures. Israel said, no, no, we're not going to try to somehow manipulate God or, or gain favor with God or appease God. We are going to honor God, Kadesh Mitra. We are going to honor God with our festivals and with our feasts. And and so their, their festivals, these seven festivals, reflected covenant relationship with God. And uh, uh, in, uh, later on in July, I'm going to be talking about uh, the characteristics of a covenant. Because I bet you none of us know what those characteristics are. And yet, right here, right here is reflected the characteristics of a covenant. And we find the reality of that clear back in the Old Testament. In fact, all the way back to Genesis, chapter 15. And so, um, uh, so we'll look more at that uh, soon. So the, these, the Israelites, rather than trying to appease God or trying to manipulate God or find favor uh, in some way uh, uh, with the gods, um, the Israelites wanted to exalt God as the Creator and as the Lord. 
we can, because we're human beings, and we're not any more different from the ancient peoples than, than uh, 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 anyone else, we can either try to manipulate God or honor God, right? In our own lives. We can try to make deals with God. Well, if you do this, God, then I'll do this, right? We try to, we try to come up with some kind of a way. Oh, this is going so bad. Okay, if I, if I just, okay, God, if I just do this, then maybe you'll bless me over here with this. And we make these, so we can do that, or we can live our lives like the Israelites were instructed to live their lives, first and foremost, Kadesh Mikah, to honor God. We can either do, God, do what I want you to do for me. God, you do what I want you to do for me. Or I will do what you want of me. You see the difference? God, do what I want you to do for me. You cater to me. Or I will do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Manipulating God or honoring God. <laughs> there were these two guys. They, uh, uh, they were two sailors. They were out on a raft. Bev was talking about, you know, they're gonna have a, we're going to have a raft up here. Um, I don't know, probably on the 15th, Bev, uh, we'll see a raft up here uh, for VBS. Uh, and they're putting a raft together. And uh, these two guys, they were out on a raft, and, and they'd uh, uh, just given up all hope of rescue. They're out on the ocean, and, and they're floating around, and, and uh, they're giving up all hope of, of rescue. And one of the guys begins to pray, and he says, Oh, Lord, I've led a worthless life. I've been unkind to my wife. And I've neglected my children, but if you'll save me, Lord, I promise. And just as he said that, the other guy said, wait a minute, I think I see land. <laughs> and the guy stopped. <laughs> That's the deal. We, we can either try to appease God and manipulate God, or we can honor God. And the festivals teach us to first and foremost honor God. Secondly, the festivals highlight God's presence and God's grace. We live our lives by uh, the solar calendar, right? This is July 1st, the seventh, starting of the seventh month of the solar year. I always tell people when I wish them happy birthday, I say, oh, another trip around the sun. Whew. <laughs> Made another trip around. Jimmy made another trip around the sun almost. <laughs> He's got a week to go. <laughs> that, but that's how but, uh, the, the Israelites, they live by a lunar calendar. Their calendar was month by month, you know, by the, the waxing and waning of, of the moon. And all their feast days uh, were in accordance with the lunar calendar. And their lunar calendar started in March, the Passover. Okay, so... Uh, so there was uh, uh, three uh, spring festivals that took place um, at that time, beginning in March. There was the, the uh, uh, Passover festival, unleavened bread, and first fruits all took place within a week's time, and, and usually in March. What kind of around the, the time 
of Easter. And Easter kind of goes by the lunar calendar of Passover. And that's why uh, it changes over the course of, of each year. Then there's one summer uh, um, festival, the Festival of Pentecost or the Festival of Weeks. And again, these, these, all of these festivals have harvests around them as well. And then there's three fall, uh, fall festivals, the Day of Atonement, Tabernacles, and Trumpets. And so these festivals bound Israel together uh, as a community. They gave identity to, to uh, uh, God's people. We are the people of, of Yahweh. We are the people of God. We have these festivals that we celebrate, Kadesh Mikrach, to honor God, and, uh, and uh, that's what we are geared towards. We have festivals too, right? I mean, we do festivals. Don't we do festivals? What's the festival we do? Okay, Christmas is the Advent season is a, is a festival time that, yeah, kind of along the, not necessarily solar calendar year, but the church calendar year. We have uh, Christmas time, Advent season, you know, that runs uh, for four weeks, which uh, culminates in the incarnation. Yeah, that's a festival. What's another one? Fourth of July. It's coming up, right? Yeah, in, in three days. The 4th of July, big festival. Maybe it's already started in your neighborhood. <laughs> it seems like it starts earlier and earlier, you know. <laughs> our dog is like, you know, like Beetle, how Beetle Bailey looks sometimes. You know, that's how our dog looks. <laughs> it's already started. Now, what are some other festivals? Lent? Isn't Lent another kind of festival time? That's uh, according to our, our church calendar year where we, you know, celebrate uh, 40 days before you uh, from... Uh, Ash Wednesday uh, to Holy Week, so we have we have our own festivals uh, as well. This guy named John uh, Gatto, said, uh, he wrote this book called "Dumbing Us Down." He said, "If we truly want to experience the good life and develop fully as human beings, we need to spend more time in community." He's speaking to Westerners, in particular Americans, who are so hyper individualistic. Just, just like what Barbara Rossing was saying. You know, we, we look at in uh, uh, Hebrew and, and uh, Greek or Aramaic, there, there are distinctions between a singular you and a plural you. But those get translated in English, and we only have Y-O-U. And we've got to figure out, is this supposed to be a singular thing or a plural thing? And we oftentimes make it a singular thing, and it should be a plural. And God was saying that, but look, we, if we're going to really succeed in life, we need to recognize that, we're, that we are uh, very much vitally involved in community. We're not just an island unto ourselves. You know, John uh, Don, no person is an island unto themselves. And so, uh, Gato says that human beings can tolerate about 150 relationships, only five close relationships. And about 150 extended relationships. What does that tell you about folks who go to a megachurch of 6,000 people? They can't be in relationship with all those people. It's a place to go and hide. What does it tell you about a neighborhood church? This is a place where you can go and you can be in community together. And we can journey through life together. That's why I've always wanted, and most of the times uh, churches I've served have been smaller churches. Because I'm convinced that the neighborhood church, even though we struggle, even though it's challenging, 
even though it's not easy, it's a neighborhood church where we can really experience the reality of God in our relationship with one another, where we really can live out and discover how to live out more fully, day in and day out, the kingdom of heaven living. So praise God for the neighborhood at church. The building of community is essential when God is at the center because it's there that we can experience God's grace. It's within community that we can experience the presence of God. In our midst, right here, it's much more difficult to get a mega church than just sitting there anonymous, you know, behind some pillar, you know, in the back. Finally, festivals have, uh, the festivals uh, not only uh, honor God and not only uh, uh, not only highlight God's presence and grace, the festivals have greater uh, meaning than the people of Israel realize. So here they were celebrating uh, harvest time. Here they were, uh, first and foremost, honoring God uh, in their uh, festivals. Here, here they were uh, um, lifting up uh, community and celebrating community together. All that was taking place. But these festivals that Corey read about in Deuteronomy 16 that we'll, we'll read about later uh, in July and August in Leviticus 23, when we read about these festivals, they actually have a deeper meaning than all of that. These festivals, actually, the, the Israelite people obviously didn't realize this, but these festivals actually foreshadow God's saving work for all of humanity. These are I didn't realize that, but but that's what these these uh, festivals do. They they literally foreshadow God's saving work for all of humanity. This is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter two, verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh, he's, he's writing to the church in Colossae. He says uh, to them, uh, "Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These things are a shadow." of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. These festivals are just a shadow, a foreshadow of what is to come in the person of Jesus. Someone wrote and said, the ceremonial laws were indispensable to Old Testament times, but they're no longer applied to where uh, those that have been freed in Christ. An eggshell is essential before the chicken is hatched, but would it not be absurd to insist that the chick should always wear the shell? Wouldn't that be silly? We have these, these festivals that are here. They point us, they foreshadow to the reality of Jesus. We can see that in our sacraments. We can see that in the sacrament of communion. We can see that in the sacrament of baptism. We can see that, and I'll be sharing that, explaining that. Uh, in the, the weeks ahead. We can see the reality of that. But wouldn't it be silly for a chicken to run around with a shell on it? You know, trying to keep the shell alive. And same with it. We're, we're free in Christ. There's no condemnation, therefore, Paul writes in Romans. No condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has freed us from the law of sin and death. We're free. Christ. We can see uh, how these 
the, the reality of the sacraments foreshadowed in, in the feast. We can see the reality of, of our journey together as a community of faith in, in, in these feasts, and, and we'll be talking about all these feasts point to God's saving grace in his kingdom of heaven living. And that's the quest that we're on together. So that's what's, what's going to be happening in the upcoming weeks. We'll be looking at the meaning of the feasts, how they foreshadow Jesus, and what it means for us and how we live today. These feasts, these seven feasts that we'll be looking at in greater detail, encourage us to honor God, Kadeshnika. They highlight God's presence and grace, and they foreshadow God's saving work in Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you interested? Do you think it'll be something interesting to look at? Good. All right. <clears throat> Let's take a moment and... Uh, Lord God, we thank you for uh, just your word and, and uh, how we can uh, deepen how our lives and our relationship to you can be enriched, not only personally, Lord, but, but together as a community of faith as we study your word together. Lord, we pray that um, your spirit would lead us and guide us in the weeks ahead uh, as we uh, delve deeper into our roots uh, in this Judeo-Christian tradition that has drawn us into vibrant and vital relationship with you through Jesus. And uh, Lord, we think about our, our world in which we live, and there, our world does have a lot of coils, a lot of snares, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, things that we've sung about uh, this morning. And, uh, um, and yet, in the midst of it all, in the midst of the beauty, in the midst of the challenges, you are present with us. You pour out your grace upon us. And how you long uh, and yearn for us as human beings across this globe, uh, in these war-torn places, in these places of, of pain and heartache, these places where there is loss, how you yearn and long that we would have eyes to see, that our hearts would be open to the reality of Lord, you encourage us to, to open our hearts as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.